0: hey there sean hey pierce how's it going it's pretty okay all right that means it's time for another it's pretty okay podcast let's do it let's start the show You know, we, we, time rolls on, uh, and Rob Manfred steadily climbs the list of uh, worst sports commissioners. Frankly, I think Gary Bettman ought be worried.
1: Hmm. Um, yeah, I, I, it was pointed out. <clears throat> I'm sure it was a, like Ray Ratto or, or someone at Defector writing about it, but. The hubris of of Rob Manfred, who is not the commissioner of MLB like Adam Silver is the commissioner of the NBA or Gary Bettman is the commissioner of the NHL. He is the commissioner of baseball. That is his title. The <laughs> hubris of this. I mean, it's it's long standing, but. He doesn't. He doesn't even like baseball. And what's very clear in all of this is none of the owners do either. They just like money, which we knew. But but now, as as we've learned over the last, I don't know, however many years in this country, um, saying the the quiet part out loud is totally okay now.
0: Well, yeah, and and it works. It works extra well when you have the Associated Press acting as your stooges and putting in their headlines that Max Scherzer showed up in his Porsche uh, to a negotiating session and and somebody I, I want to say it was either Joe Posnanski or Mike Scher uh, asked the right question in response which was and what car oh Mike Scher asked and what car did the owners show up in and mm-hmm. Joe Posnanski replied to that tweet yachts yeah so like at, you know i i I don't really want to talk about the baseball lockout it's bad it's stupid uh it is pure uh commercial greed at its apex so instead Mm -hmm. let's talk about espn's multi-month mike shashefsky
1: farewell gasm yeah i mean kevin i think that's the appropriate term for it right
2: yeah the um in the game they had a coach k cam going for a while where they would show the game in half the screen and coach k in the other half and um and they just brought it <clears throat> brought it up in just a million times over it. Like, Oh, this is coach K's last game in, uh, in the Dean Smith dome. This is coach K's last game at Virginia. And now this is coach K's final regular season home game in Cameron indoor. And it's, you know, guess what? Duke's still playing.
0: Yeah, they sure are. And they're probably going to be playing for a while longer.
1: Mm -hmm. And, I this given is K's of- last sweet 16 game yeah <laughs> it, it, exactly and and I think one thing that occurred to me, and this is a special case because it is a coach, but it had me thinking even more uh, more broadly than that the retirement kind of countdown with team sports, is always a little weird because of how it can drag on in a way that I think individual sports, you know, if you say, this is my last US Open, you have this, I mean, you're playing opponents or are playing with opponents, whatever it is. But in individual sports, it's my last Olympics. I'm Sean White. This is my last Olympics. It's a totally different um, situation with that. And the finality feels more uh, up to you or or your fate as opposed to this. Like, uh, you know, that wasn't this past weekend or whatever. wasn't even Coach K's last regular season game as the Duke coach. But so much was put on it. And it's like. It's another game. It's not even one that matters particularly much if, if he is a, a real coach. It's going to be all the ones after it that, that matter for his retirement tour in a lot of ways, I think.
0: I mean, yeah, the uh, The difference is that all, all of these games, any game left for Duke other than their first game of the ACC tournament And their inevitable first game of the NCAA tournament is not guaranteed, so you can't plan for it. You can't you can't fly hundred former players in, and you know have have branded pullovers, Mm -hmm. uh, you know on on forty eight hours note. Oh yeah, oh baby. did they I
1: mean, I'm sure a booster at Duke uh, w- gladly paid for that, but that is that is a stupid, stupid waste of money when there are kids there who who like are like, wow, am I going to live in an apartment that's comfortable or am I going to have food every night? Like uh, th- that's what we're talking about, but that's yeah. that's separate. <clears throat> and,
2: and on top of that, it's like it's uh, it, it's not just you know, Coach K and, and final games. It's just the constant speculation to make every game this this big deal that has nothing – that that's outside of, like, the game itself. Like, every time you watched – or uh, I guess the Packers didn't win any playoff games this, this past year, but it's was like, could this be Aaron <laughs> Rodgers' last game? And then every single year it was like, is this the last time Bill Belichick and Tom Brady are going to play together? Is this Tom Brady's last game? It's just – there's – just always this big deal about if it's the last game, and it I don't know, it doesn't really feel like it, it matters in the scope of the career.
0: Well, yeah, so that that's an interesting thing, and and I think you know, not to hammer too hard on on what has become a, a theme of this podcast, sort of generally, but like this is this is a symptom of uh a sort of media and entertainment landscape where you're competing with everything all the time and so like you have the stakes are have to constantly elevate you know everyone is is chasing the dragon they had their first high and they can't catch it again so you have to just up the ante on every single thing you know And, and to a point where it does like it does get pretty silly. You know, the the old sort of farewell tours in the NBA like when, you know, when Bill Russell was on his last lap, like the NBA was on tape delay. Yeah. At that point, if it was on TV at all, it was like the, these things. So I I think part of it is that we're just we're so inundated with, you know, with sports content uh mm. across many plan uh platforms and channels and whatnot that like it does all seem a little bit much and pierce i'm maybe curious uh to to know what you think about this because i think you're the only one of the three of us that has maybe watched shut up and play the hits Mm -hmm. um uh if anything i think what we've learned from the last decade is that a uh, farewell is not necessarily a
1: farewell. No. And that's, in some ways, I'm, I've been thinking about, like, what are the best examples of this? And, and LCD sound system... Uh, going out at the top of their game and having it in a documentary is a very epic way of doing that. And I highly recommend watching Shut Up and Play the Hits for no other reason than at some point in it, you see this very ecstatic young man looking directly into the uh, camera um, and you're like, that guy looks familiar. It's Donald Glover he just is there he's not famous at that point but he is he is there and he is he's just incredible it's like here's here's a group going out on their own terms um, you know they're having like this or like two week run or however many show run um, in in their city and like that's the way to do it I mean music is is not but it also sort of is an individual sport Um, and and I, I think that you know that's as good as it is but you can always come back. Uh in a, there are a lot of circumstances where you can do that. I mean, we even see that with some with some quarterbacks now like Philip Rivers. For all I know, he's going to he's going to sign with a team tomorrow. But the whole isn't
0: the whole point of this is that for for an athlete it's supposed to be because you can't come back. You know what I mean? Yes. And like and yes. I so like the perfect example the our example of this to me is that um uh, you know Tom Brady announced his retirement like well, there was the whole flap about whether or not he had announced it in the week leading up to the Super Bowl. It's been less than a month since then, and already all involved parties have, like, walked back the finality of him announcing his retirement. Bruce Arians said he'd be that. open to having Tom Brady
1: back. Like, I, you know, no no one means what they say anymore. Well, I mean, and I was going to say a good example as far as team sports go. And I don't remember how it was covered leading up to it, but John Elway won the Super Bowl, and that was it. Like he, I mean, he had no knee ligaments, anyways. But that's about as good as you can do it in team sports. Like this was my last game; I did it how I wanted to. It was in a game that mattered. I mean, that's the thing in team sports; it's hard to to align it with a game that mattered. Right. <laughs> but I, I think that the
2: other the other point with that is so along with John Elway like Peyton Manning did the same thing but Peyton Manning won the Super Bowl and went and you know retired but a like that wasn't when I think of Peyton Manning I don't think of him winning that Super Bowl that that was won by the defense Peyton Manning had a you know and I and and B it's not like you know Peyton Manning is very much in our lives still so it's just and it's just seems weird to think about the final game having any significance, but we put so much significance into it at the moment.
0: And Peyton Manning had already hung around for several years too long after, you know, having neck surgery. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. I I mean, Rob Gronkowski, quote unquote, retired just to avoid being traded to the Detroit lions.
1: I I mean, that's, you know I mean, for someone who thing, yeah that's a, that's a pretty savvy move from a guy I don't think of as being so savvy but, but then it's not retiring yeah <laughs> right. well it's it, it's it's putting yourself first which again is an interesting thing to do in a team sport and i'm supportive of that good good for him i do think though that uh, in in things that are are i think kind of the best for this um, I do come back to the examples of the Olympics and, and and golf too to an extent, like being like, hey, I'm I'm gonna play the Masters this year and that's it. Um but one that I think is maybe like the best for this is like I, I don't I don't remember Andre Agassiz's last US Open. But if you go, I'm retiring this year, this is my last US Open, that is kind of the perfect thing because it's like, all right, you're probably gonna win a match or two. I'll try to go for that one. But then it starts to be like if your team unexpectedly goes to the final four, where oh, maybe I need to drop everything and get to New York because this really might be his last match and it's it's the quarterfinals, it's the semifinals, whatever it is. That that like two-week type of buildup you can drop in, people can go, that feels good. And it it feels like the right amount of hype to build up. Whereas, I mean. Uh, Kobe Bryant's last game was a regular season game it was a very clear it was going to be a regular season game and it also in many ways was not a normal game of basketball because they gave him the ball 378 times
0: I'm not really sure what part about that didn't seem normal to you
1: okay you know what that I take I take that I take that back <laughs> but in service of like getting him to an arbitrary number of points as opposed to like that's just our offense sure. <laughs> um yeah
0: i don't know if i necessarily find the team sports aspect of it as odd as you do but mm -hmm. i think i find it really odd when we do this stuff with coaches Mm, just because like they're they're not the they're not the players You know, like, you know, that's that's a a very tautological sort of circular definition thing. But like, you know,
1: don't we don't we usually think of of coaches as as pretty um, selfless people and, you know, are not all of them. But I think we we like to think of coaches as uh, okay. who I'm thinking of is, is Greg Popovich is probably going to retire very soon. He is. One of the, if not the, the best uh, basketball coach of of our our, of our lifetime, if not longer than that, he is not going to make any noise about retiring. He may not even let anyone know until after he's done it. Um, I think that that is a counterexample to, um, you know, the previous Team USA coach, which is Mike Shishovsky. Mike Shishovsky is fairly vain, it would seem. <laughs> And and I don't I don't think Tony Ben I don't think Tony Bennett is like that I think I think Roy Williams was is was and is vain in a different way, um, but his his leaving was not as big deal and Roy Williams was a tremendous basketball coach. Well,
2: yeah, you know, part of this was out, it was out of the blue, but you know. To your point, he really made sure he cried it up in that press conference. So that yeah, all... but
1: out of the blue. But also, he, he, it's not about him. He's the coach to Sean's point. Right. He is not. He's not Vince Carter retiring after 28 years in the league. And yet, because
0: college sports is something where the players have a a literal fixed window in which they can play, mm-hmm. you know, no one. Uh, coaches are the fixtures in college sports, and so they they take on that role. Like it's interesting. I've noticed one thing I've noticed a lot uh, this year watching soccer is that like NBC when they do their graphics for like the game that's coming up, it is now always of the two coaches, and that seems very strange to me. And I hate it. I'm guessing it's probably a COVID thing where there's like they weren't getting people together for photo shoots. But you know or or a licensing thing where that's sure, you know. maybe maybe that's it. Um, but in college, the only the only person who's going to be around longer than you know five years is a coach, and let's be honest if if there is anyone who I maybe merits this kind of treatment. It is the guy who's been around for 40 years and is the winningest coach in the history of the sport. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, you know, the, the the point you made, Pierce, about, you know, coaches being sort of selfless men, like, that seems to me to be especially a, a thing that is uh, present in college sports where we've assigned this, you know leader and molder of men role to uh, to a lot of people that really do not in any way deserve it. Like, we assigned that mythology to Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer's a great big shitbag. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
2: you know? Yeah. And I, I think that's uh, part of with the Coach K thing that kind of irked me is that it, it seems like Coach K... You know it's hard to from the outside but from an outside perspective it seemed like Coach K kind of stopped being that and when he went to the one and done thing which you know it's, you can't really blame any coach for doing that if they have the chance to like if Tony Bennett had the ability to he probably would too but like when I think of Coach K and the Duke program I still kind of think of the um, the you know pretty white kids that like kick the shit out of everyone and it's just not really what Duke is or has been for a while, and so it seems like it's not this. It's not like the building that K built anymore. It's just kind of these this NBA mill. Uh,
0: many
1: yeah. a Plumley would beg to differ on that point, but I, <laughs> I concede that it is mostly correct.
0: Yeah, but that's like that's also just sort of doubled and tripled down on the fact that in college basketball there is only one person who sticks around really for more than like two years because at this like the way this is all going now if you show up somewhat like to a major program and you don't set the world on fire in year one you're probably going in the transfer portal and so mm-hmm. it just really amps up the level to which people you know fans will sort of associate themselves with a program and who is the symbol of the program it's not player anymore it's the coach you know because no one sticks around i obviously not no one but like very few people you know few stars we'll say that few if any stars stick around long enough to really inscribe their name into the mythology so you have to either be such an undeniable megastar like Zion that you take up all the oxygen in your one year before you jet off to the NBA, or you probably lose some of the spotlight to your coach.
1: And I think that's where it, it comes to. So you mentioned Zion, and even though he was there for a year, I think, wow, this guy was so powerful that he he broke a shoe, like he just blew out his shoe. With coaches um, save Jim Beheim losing his mind all the time. Um, you know, these coaches don't like, there's not a memorable moment that a coach has a coach doesn't make a great play. I mean, they make great plays, but they don't make the plays. So that's, that's maybe part of my hesitation with, with this too. There aren't a lot of coach moments unless they're losing their mind or or it is not. It is not a part of deciding the game. It is their reaction to winning the game, or, or something. Obviously, Jim Belvano, you know, looking for someone to to hug basically is an iconic coaching moment. But it was an iconic human moment more than anything else. Yeah. Um, there's another side to this equation that we haven't
0: spent any time talking about, and it is the side of. ESPN Mm -hmm. not just you know obviously not just ESPN but the sports media business and I think there is a certain aspect to this whole Coach K proceeding that could very easily be read as an admission on ESPN's part that uh, this is a down year for college basketball there's not really a uh, an indelible star. There's not really a jump off the page, unstoppable team necessarily.
2: And so people like, are kind of
0: done with the Gonzaga storyline at this point. You know, totally no one cares that Gonzaga
2: loses one game,
0: right? Exactly. And so, you know, I mean, God, they did th- they did this. They certainly did this with uh the, the Zion Barrett reddish Duke team where just like every you'd hear about them on broadcasts of like Pac-12 games, you know, it, it just would suck up oxygen everywhere you looked. And like I there's only there's only so much that I can blame them because they just they have to get your attention on this sport somehow like they need your eyeballs and so if they've decided they did like they did this with trey young a bit too they really kind of oversaturated oklahoma trey young because when they hit a hot hand at the craps table they just have to keep letting it ride all the time um and, and so like this is this is totally a manufactured thing on their part. Like I I would absolutely believe if you told me Mike shevsky didn't really want any of this. I would also believe if you told me he wanted all of it because he seems like he's a little vain and self-righteous, but I also know that there's a certain part of that feeling on my part that just comes from being a Duke hater and so, like, I, they're they're. I think on a basic level, Mike a good man.
1: I I don't have any reason to doubt that. Um, I I think I think we we take it for granted a bit, but um, you know, Duke has been a team that you either enjoy a lot or you really dislike. You cannot deny how talented a lot of the players have been in the course of Mike Frischewski's career, um, and you know, ESPN owes a lot to him. I mean, those, those games, especially against North Carolina, just anytime Duke plays, you know, they're having ACC games, having the ACC network being known as the place you go for college basketball. A lot of that comes back to Duke. I mean that more so than I think anywhere else, because of the continuity there and because of the confines being great on television. Um, no team has defined this high-definition TV era better than Duke, and that means Mike Krzyzewski. So, I mean, I don't know what size yacht ESPN has to buy him, but they have to buy him a yacht <laughs> um, so that he can, he can show up and tell Max Scherzer that he will never, he will never cede to his poor Porsche ways. Just give him um, Roman Abramovich's yacht yeah well, there they, yeah <laughs> there are some there are some uh, yachts that that might be uh, part of a uh, repo auction soon, I guess. that's that's what I'm saying. Um,
0: yeah, it's they really I mean Duke has been the defining college basketball program like of our lifetimes of a 30 year stretch. It's kind of crazy when you yeah. think about and it and it's
1: it's because of one man with autocratic tendencies cuz that's the way college basketball works yeah and on top of that <clears throat> you know there's
0: there's an added aspect where they uh, arguably they seized the mantle of that from North Carolina who was i think kind of the last defining program like in the 80s maybe well maybe maybe say the fab five at the beginning of the 90s and then duke sort of seized it
2: well no yeah well like kansas uh, and would, kentucky have always kind of been there i don't know kansas who had roy there. williams
1: for a long time kentucky had rick patino for a while um and then Lute olson at at arizona i would say and then i, I you know i don't well, UCLA, we can't really... rip but Sean's point, cool. these are
2: all more blips, or as the Duke thing
1: has been... Uh, Arizona, so I long. think, was there for a while, but I don't recall how long.
0: There's a But there's a difference between being really good at the sport and, like, being the fulcrum of the sport. And I I don't believe oh, that no, no, Lute no, Olsen's no. Arizona ever was. Yeah, um, no, not Not to that level. Uh, so, like... So Duke, Duke really sort of sees the mantle in, I want to say it was, I want to say 91 is when, so in 90, they lost to, I think I have my timeline right on this. In 90, they lost to UNLV. In 91, they like got over the hump and beat UNLV and won the title. And then in 92 was the famous Leitner game against Kentucky in the Elite Eight. And so like the Fab 5 came right after that. That was like 92, 93, 94, I want to say. But like mm-hmm. outside of that blip, Duke has been the fulcrum of college basketball for that entire 30-year stretch. I would say. You know, the the Wooden UCLA years were that for sure. Um, you know, Michael Jordan North Carolina was kind of the the center of the universe for a stretch. I mean, Michael Jordan played 3 years of college basketball. Like you know, there there will never be someone who is that talented who who sticks around at this point, right? Like we're no. never going to see this again. It's all it is all the you know, the manufactured Trey Young season where we're getting like break in Trey Young three pointer counts during you know a, a Big Ten game or something like that like I don't know something about it that this
1: Bron- feels uh, grim Bronny James that will be a good one I don't think he's going to be playing college basketball not one second no that, one best... second at all that's a conversation for...
2: You for don't think they'll time.
0: just
2: get him a Duke scholarship, but he doesn't, you
0: know, actually play? You think they're going to do that over changing the NBA age rule so he can get drafted out of high school and make a, some team a billion dollars? All right, sorry. This is just making me think of
2: the, the show LeBron James is going to put on for himself when he wants to retire. So
1: that will be the worst. I Yeah, I... We're not talking about Brandy uh, James, but I I do hope that he is treated in these coming years not as a commodity, but as someone who like too late has a lot of opportunities, and you know maybe he can just go to college and be be a, a kid and a, then a guy. Too late. Okay,
0: it's been too late for that since he was born. Sorry, can't happen. Man. Man. Yeah. But you know what can happen? We can get an apology. Because it's time for
1: Pierce to sorry. Yeah, so I'm not I'm not one of those people that that finds like that plants need names, and I've certainly gotten more into to gardening things, both indoors and outdoors, as I have had more space to do so. It's something I look forward to, but they don't need names or anything. I, I don't like naming, you know outside of your pets and and then you know i guess offspring like i don't think you really need to name other things but i recognize that people have connections with their plants and i think that it is good to have this this respect and and, and care for your plants i mean they are living things i i, I totally can, obvious that is true um, but what I'd say is, a lot of you may be in a, the same position as me, which is now you've had some house plants for a couple years because that was a cool thing people were doing, and it does make your inside space more enjoyable. Well, I guess this is an apology for the plants, but also for myself because for myself and my household because it inhibited my enjoyment of these plants. Which is, you gotta go to your local plant store and say hey these plants are a little gloomy i've had them for a while i know they're still alive but how can they be better you got to fertilize those things you got to get yourself some 10-10-10 fluid and and add it to the water and and make sure they're getting nitrogen and a full diet i mean You can eat tilapia and rice for every meal, but you got to get some broccoli and some other other vitamins and things in there. So uh, make sure you're treating your plants with the respect they deserve. I know you all have some some houseplants that have been feeling they've been on their last leg for a year of the two years you've had them. Make sure you go get some fertilizer, bring them back to life. Your your kangaroo paw ferns and and, you know, your your uh, whatever you've got, you know, your your lucky bamboo trees and things like that. Make sure you go get them what they need. Get some fertilizer. (laughs) Okay. Uh,
0: That turned into advice hour. That's interesting. Um, Yeah. All right. Well, let's do a big idea from pop culture. Um, So, you know, I I don't think it's a secret at this point that we, we record this pod a few days before it comes out. So in between uh our last recording session and this one uh emily and i spent a few days in oxford mississippi it's a delightful little town uh did we go to square books uh once for each day that we were there who's to say
1: it's Um, right there why
0: not exactly uh you know we were staying right off the square so we were like in a primo location uh had unbelievable food and I also took the opportunity to finally read a book called Pappy Land. Pappyland is a book by uh, arguably our our one of our greatest current chroniclers, Wright Thompson. Uh Oxford felt like a perfect place to to read it. Uh, he is a native of Clarksdale, which is just uh, oh. a, a short, short bit away, uh, and uh, it's a a book. It is nominally a book about whiskey, and specifically, Pappy Van Winkle, uh, the the sought after cult bourbon. Uh, but uh, as is so often the case in excellent works of writing, it's about many more things than that. It's about memory. It's about uh, family and specifically the relationships between fathers and their children and, you know, what, what fathers owe their children and what children then later owe their fathers. Uh, it's just, it is so beautiful. It's um, I, I I had actually, I'd given my dad a copy uh, for Christmas sight unseen, just knowing, like, I think I knew it was going to be really good. And uh, he and my mom, we're actually on a trip in Arizona uh, last week, and I know that he he read it while he was there because he he texted a couple times about it. and I said, "Okay, now I, I really gotta gotta read it." And I had had uh, an ebook copy from the library, uh, but it's definitely one of those books where I am I'm, I'm gonna have to get myself uh, an actual hard copy, even though I've already read it because, you know, it's it's one of those books that you keep around and you you reread every so often you you lend out to people. Uh, I I think there is very much a world in which uh Pappy Land is my microsurfs, uh uh-huh. Pierce. Uh and there's just there's a um there are two two uh I don't I don't want to get too sappy, so I'll I'll say uh there's there's a, a line that I particularly enjoyed uh, which is vodka is for the skinny, Scotch is for the strivers, bourbon is for the homesick. And man, that just it caught me caught me in a place. So uh would highly uh recommend uh I believe the full title is Papyland uh Family Fine Whiskey a story of family, fine whiskey, and the things that last. Hmm. Uh, would very very much uh, suggest that you check that out. And now I'll uh, I'll make a little noise while I grab my calendar because it is of course time for a Rolling Stone rock trivia question. Would you guys like a question about Elvis Presley? Or eh, Let's do An Elvis question Okay How many consecutive Sold out shows did Elvis play In Las Vegas From 1969 To 1976 Was it A 223 B 583
2: C
1: 837 or D 1014 go C I'm gonna go I'm gonna go B this is like a price is right type thing alright
0: well it's multiple choice not the price is right so there is literally a right answer and Kevin got it all of this sold out 837 shows in vegas in that seven-year stretch
2: yeah just did 52 weeks seven years you know somewhere on there a couple (laughs) couple days a
0: week well hot damn i think that may pull you back into the lead on percentage we'll uh we'll see when we get our next trivia update nice okay that is the end of the show you can find us at our home on the web at www.prettyokaypod.com or you can subscribe to the show feed on your podcast app of choice if you do that tell a friend about the show we'd love to share it with them as well we'll be back next week to talk about something else until then i'm sean i'm pierce i'm kevin thanks for listening bye